0: Welcome to the Smoke and Rope podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who've been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Baystor. And today is episode 67, uh, coming from me today from the new Covert Law, Michigan Cannabis uh, Defender uh, and Redemption uh, office. Super excited. So I got a new look. And uh, today we have on Nate Niehaus from Prima Clone and Fast Flower Farm. Nate, thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Awesome. Kevin over at True. What's happening today?
1: Oh, just running around, man. Uh, Super excited to have Nate on the show. Uh, He's a genetic guy, and that's one of my things, and really enjoy doing that kind of stuff, so I'm excited to kind of talk to him about stuff.
0: Great, yeah, I as well. And Tom at Real Leaf looking sharp as always. Thanks,
2: man. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation today as well. It's kind of dear to my heart, so. Nice to meet you, Nate. Right
3: back at you, bud.
0: Yeah, now this uh, this is a good one, and we've been you know, we're talking about genetics a lot on the side and, and the race in Michigan and what's gonna happen. So, uh, Nate is a wealth of information. I first uh, uh, talked and met Nate uh, through our mutual uh, uh, buddy, um, uh, Jeff Dayton. And, uh, you know, not always easy to get a hold of at first. So Nate was uh, very polite and got me, uh, we got on a call, I think it was 6.30 a.m. one morning, we were both up. and yep. uh, realized you uh, knew what you were talking about and uh, had a great conversation and then um, you came out to the fundraiser in Pontiac we had with the foundation and raised a lot of money and really appreciated that and then um, from that fundraiser one of the prizes was uh, Jake Abraham from Sticky uh, Ippy who used to be uh, Tom Gore's chef so he auctioned himself off uh, as a prize and uh now friend ray from bay area herbal meds uh won it and uh i went up to the dinner it was incredible over up at ray's and uh, nate was there and that's when we started talking and came up with an idea that we're gonna kind of talk about here after we get into nate's background so nate thanks for coming on uh tell us a little bit about where you grew up your marijuana travels and how you made it to michigan sure man um so uh I, I've, I've traveled a lot my life, and
3: uh, what it boiled down to is, you know, I've, I've I've been kind of in the entrepreneurial space for a little while. I, I, I joined the military, used that to get, uh, used that as a for the the GI bill for that to to go to college. You know, I was broke man, so I couldn't afford college, so I used the, the GI bill to go to college. Um, you know, while I was in high school, I was kind of I kind of. Uh, I had a thing with cannabis then even. And so that was my, I think I popped my first seed in like 1999 or 2000. Uh, So relatively early, I started playing with uh, popping seeds. And then, you know, obviously in the military, cannabis wasn't a thing. Uh, On the back end of that, I, I jumped off and started doing some entrepreneurial stuff in the tech space. I started sailing charter business kind of out of the country. and. I've been looking at the, the canvas space for a long time, you know, just kind of trying to figure out how I was going to get into it. Uh, in that sailing charter business, one of my last clients ended up being a relatively large uh, commercial canvas grower over there in uh, on Vancouver Island in BC. And so he invited me to come up and check out his spot. I went up there, checked out his spot, talked myself into a job, shut down the sailing charter business. And at that point, I just kind of started looking around the different states and found that Michigan was kind of on the come up at that time and, uh, you know, why not kind of thing and they don't let you my original kind of uh the place that i grew up is in texas and they don't let you grow dope there legally so uh michigan was a spot man so we came here bought some land uh put together a couple of licenses
0: and put together some money and, and built a commercial facility uh, that's, that's a pretty cool story i didn't know all that back then I was, I was waiting to hear it so very cool um right now you have really two license two businesses uh one is mentioned i believe class c grow but also now you're you're doing genetics and really it's interesting it's the model um we've talked about as far as people have been you know some of my friends like kevin and tom and different people like you know like oh you could do this with clones you could supply you know you can supply you can you know sell them supply them now uh that's all in the law which is awesome but you're the first person i know and have talked to that's the uh that's doing it and doing it successfully on the regulated market. Of course, that's been going on in Michigan for the last you know, 12 years uh, nonstop, but I feel like you're a little heading in the game there. So tell me about your two businesses and, and how they're working. Absolutely, man. Um, so,
3: I my, the the degree that I went and got ended up being in finance. And so when you're a numbers guy, when you when you get a hold of the kind of the finance uh, side of a grow, one of the things you realize very quickly is it's not just yield. I mean, that's the thing everybody wants to talk about, but it's how fast you can turn those flower rooms in combination with yield. And then also put out a high quality product and yeah definitely there's you know there's variations in growing ability there's variations in the kind of you know facility you design and its ability to keep environmental uh, conditions correct but then once you get past those two things what you end up with is is genetics genetics are the next thing um in terms of in terms of really being able to 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 make a profitable cannabis cultivation company um, and so when we we're putting fast flower farms together uh you know that was one of the things i identified re- really early i was like we need access to really good genetics to make this particular model work um, we started poking around here in michigan and yeah you could find some but it was there was a lot of question marks associated with those genetics you know we didn't know if they were real we didn't know if they, that was actually the cultivar that people named i mean there's a laundry list of companies who have gotten in some kind of trouble um, and gotten caught renaming cultivars. And, and so we weren't sure about that. You know, there's residual pesticides and heavy metals that can be trapped in these plants from people spraying with uh, the wrong stuff, you know, in the caregiver market. And then, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's hops latent buyers, which is a big deal. And that's all over the place. And yeah, it's not that big in Michigan yet, but it is big. Uh, and so as I was putting this together, I realized, man, there needs to be a company that you can trust out there that does this kind of genetics R and D. Um, and so we said, what the hell, we'll give it a try. And we did. And then I think honestly, we underestimated the size of the opportunity. Uh, and once it started off, then we were, uh, we were kind of in the right, we felt like we were kind of in the right space. Um, and, and it's just, it's grown from there. You know, uh, we're we're expanding rather quickly. We're we're putting uh, tissue culture lab, and we'll be at this. You know, at, for next year's outdoor, which is the big push for 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 clone companies. For next year's outdoor, we'll be in the you know twenty five to 30,000 30, clones per month uh,
0: production capacity, which is where it's kind of getting there. Uh, that's cool. Uh, really cool. Although we, I've been talking about this for for a while. It's an interesting concept. We've seen it seen it done and uh um you know everything you said Every you know you're skeptical at first there's a lot of new people who've come to michigan and uh you know you, you never know there are growers from illinois that maybe weren't that good and they're tired but just it's a lot of a lot of bs out there and uh um it's exciting everything you've done is checked out and you know we we uh, we're working with you now so that being said uh let's why don't you kind of tell us it was your idea what we're going to do with the uh the outlaw skunk uh redemption and then uh, i know tom and kevin are uh itching to ask some genetics questions so 100 um so one of the things
3: okay so this is this is a hypothesis but I think when, it, when these canvas markets open up, what happens a lot of times, so you get a lot of new kind of users or just, just early users that are coming into the regulated market you know, on the consumer side of the retail side. And so they're often looking for these fruit forward varieties, you know, something easy, pleasing, something like that. But once you've done that for a little while, or if you're, you know, if you were kind of a if if you were active back before that happened uh i think you i think you look back and you go man remember those skunks remember those those really weird terpene profiles that we had you know super gassy strains, the skunks all this just like this kind of it's it's almost nostalgic these Mm -hmm. older uh cultivars terpene profiles and so when we were we were hanging out at that dinner the other night i was i was you and i just kind of started talking about that and i was like man we have access to a couple of different uh, genetics in that kind of old skunk lineage um, that have some stories behind them. And one of them is is, is this outlaw skunk. And so we got a hold of, of some beans, uh, some of them from Europe. We had to get them uh, brought in from Europe. And then some of them from Mendo. And the Mendo ones were actually called outlaw skunk because what happened was everybody who was growing dope in Mendo was growing these big outdoor farms and There was plant count restrictions, obviously, but not everyone abided by them. Uh, But the guys who got busted were the guys who were growing this particular variety of skunk, and that's because they could smell that skunk over anything else and locate the gardens from a long ways away. So that's the outlaw skunk, and my goal with Redemption here um, is is to bring that back so we've kind of been hoarding these genetics and finding some new stuff uh, all in the, the skunk lineage we're gonna do a big pheno hunt and then we hope to hope to release this with redemption the uh the outlaw skunk yeah that's awesome nate
1: uh, my my first you know Uh, remembrance of of smoking kind, bud back in the day was the skunk number one, Uh, one of my buddies, dad, uh, you know, he got it from one of the auto factories that he worked at and um, he would stash it in his room. And I remember playing the game uh, of his dad leaving and then us going in the room and walking around the room with our noses, trying to identify (laughs) the spot, you know, and we'd move it around and he would get super creative, but he never, ever could hide it from us because it was just that skunky, you know, so I'm super excited for you guys uh, to to work on that. Um, I did want to touch on uh, real quick you had uh, mentioned uh, the hops laden virus earlier when you were talking about um, your history and whatnot and uh, a lot of growers aren't familiar with that um, I wondered if you could uh, quickly explain uh, what the hops laden virus is is it systemic is it something that you can get rid of through tissue culture or treatment or, or how does that all work since we're not all that familiar here in Michigan
3: 100 percent. and so the first thing I, I always start off with is i'm not a scientist and oftentimes i say things that are incorrect but i will tell you the best of my knowledge um around hops latent. now hops latent is a viroid um and it exists in a lot of cannabis plants at one point there was a certain nursery in california and i'm i'm not i'm not gonna throw anyone under the bus here but there was a nursery in california that was giving out uh, or selling, excuse me, a lot of genetics, <laughs> they ended up having something like 90% of their genetics actually ended up having uh, hops latent. And it began to actually have an impact across the entire California marketplace. Um, and what it is, it's, it's also named at Dutters. And as, you, as, it, as, it, as the name implies, what can happen is it can be latent in the plant itself and it generally affects the plant. The the way that you would see it is like different growth patterns. You'll definitely see a decrease in yield, potency, terpene content, Um, and especially in propagation. uh, Your strike rate for cloning will go down dramatically for that particular cultivar. Um, And it can be spread a variety of different ways. There's not a great amount of research on all the different ways it can be spread, but the most common way is like, um common water like it like if you're watering to runoff and all of that water can go down through the rest of your plants it can be it can go that way it can be transferred through plant sap cutting utensils uh, and a variety of other things like that. So it's super important to a test all of your all of your cultivars on the front end, so that you're not giving out or you're not infecting the rest of your cultivation facility with hops latent. And then uh, to be super sterile between cultivars. And even if you get you know a negative result from a hops latent test, you need to go back every so often. And our our method is quarterly, uh, and test all of your plant stock again because, as the name implies, it can be latent in the plant itself and only exit and only come forward with certain stress events. And when that happens, then it can be, it can be transmitted from plant to plant again. Um, and to your point, it absolutely can be gotten rid of through tissue culture. It cannot be, 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 excuse me, gotten rid of through nodal tissue culture. Although that can happen, it's not a guarantee. The way it the way it can preserve sure be to be gotten rid of is if you do proper, uh, Mary tissue culture, but that's a long process. That's a six to nine month process to clean up that genetic. Um, and it's not cheap either. So, uh, the, the, the easiest way for most, cultivators to to kind of put up a firewall, let's say, is to take, uh, and it's typically three leaf samples and the test is relatively affordable, you know, it's 25, 30 bucks or something like that, and take those to a lab, a a trustworthy lab, and then have them run those tests. And then if you find uh, they pop hop for hops latent and you really like that cultivar, it's a good idea to go to another mom or another another version of that cultivar and test that again uh, to be sure before you toss the plant.
2: And Nate, what labs in Michigan are you familiar with that actually test for HLV?
3: So I have to admit that we, we only use one lab. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, I don't get anything out of this. I'm just going to tell you what we use. Uh, it's Beardus is the lab that we use here. Um, and I spent, we spent a lot of money with those guys. Uh, because we do a lot of testing. In fact, you know, I just dropped off another, another bunch of uh, new genetics that we just brought in because we test. We also test for uh, residual pesticide and heavy metals uh, because you never know what that plant has been grown with before you get it, unless you get it from a super trusted source. So anything that we even have a tiny question about, we take it in and get those tests done. Now, those tests are quite a bit more expensive. You know, those are a couple hundred bucks a pop.
2: So do you um, do you obviously since you're running, you're selling clones or you're testing everything that comes in, do you have any plans on doing any in-house testing or anything?
1: Absolutely.
3: Um, Testing labs are relatively expensive to build correctly. Um, and right now, it just doesn't make sense for us to basically undergo that capital investment, which is not going to have a real return uh, for us for a little while. So, it's not something I'm going to do in the near term. Uh, but we are building out a Meristem tissue culture lab, um, and that's specifically to ensure that all of our mom stock is always coming out of Meristem. So even if there is some problem, you know, in the remote likelihood, it's 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 totally cleaned up.
2: That's 100% of what we do at our facility here too. We have a lab, and we in-house, uh, and annually, we're uh, taking meristem. So yeah, yeah, more power cool, to be forward-thinking on that. It's it's crucial. Yeah, if you're not doing it that, it is. Uh, you may know that. Uh,
3: you may know Griffin. Is that true? I absolutely do. Okay, cool. Me, him and I were texting about this uh, right before, and um, he's a that guy. Imagineetics. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That guy's a wealth of information.
2: Yeah, I recommend checking him out for sure, if you don't know.
3: Yeah, I think we're about to, I think, I mean, he's, he's, he's actually helping us design and, and build out this district culture lab. Yeah, that's awesome. Right yeah,
2: he's a yeah. good dude. He's the one, he's helping us out too. So that's great, man. Um, I had a question though. So the, we used to run the super skunk back in the day and ran into the same situation where we could only, you know, maybe two, three plants max out of the whole garden just for the sake of, you know, there's, there aren't enough carbon filters and squirrel cage fans <laughs> yeah. on planet Earth, especially what yeah. they used to cost, you know. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, so you're hunting right now. You've got beans. We've been looking, we're, we're, we're looking for the skunky, the funky. I want it to smell like a foot or a skunk yep. or something, you know. And yep. uh, we're just, you know, we just, we're batting zero. Uh, Dude, and we it, popped a lot of beans. It's, a, it's a, What do you think is the elusive factor of the terpene combination? Is a specific terpene that we're missing? Is it a combination of terpenes that gets that just intense skunk smell? Uh, I mean, why is it so elusive? It's like Sasquatch. I,
3: <laughs> it kind of is a Sasquatch, right? It's because everybody has seen it at one point, but no one can find it again kind of thing, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% on board with you, man um and, and so i i'm not educated enough to give you a good answer on like these specific terpenes or the combination of terpenes i think uh honestly a guy like griffin would be able to tell you that but i can't uh what i do know is that it but and and well what i hypothesize is that it got kicked it got pulled out of people's gardens because they couldn't grow it without being busted that was it was just so potent um but there's kind of another thing that ties into that, which is which is the way the current market is going. And this is, again, when new markets open up, you get a new kind of consumer. And this is a prohibition thing where, like, you know, early in alcohol prohibition, Um, what everyone was getting was like, was like gasoline, like 150 proof alcohol. And that's what they wanted because, you know, it was prohibition. They, they only had small packages and they were trying to get as much bang for their buck kind of thing. And some element of that happens translates into the cannabis industry where now we're looking for, you know, everyone's shooting for 30 and 35% THC numbers. And a lot of these older varieties don't have that, that very high THC variety. And I mean, I think I would suspect that everyone on this podcast. Podcast understands that THC is a, is a, is is important, but it is a fraction of the overall cannabis experience. And and to bring it back to alcohol, which I admit is not is not a perfect uh, analogy here. But it, it, I never in my life have walked into a bar and ordered Bacardi One Fifty One on the rocks, and that's because I actually enjoy my alcohol. I think I have. Oh, there he is. The, I I have to admit, it's the first time I've heard that. <laughs>
0: I was, I was i was a bit of a wild wild guy when I was oh that's a surprise
3: right <laughs> uh but 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 that gets so i and, and this is something ryan and i were talking about and it's like man you know what if we find the skunk you know it like finishes in time it's not like a 12 weeker like the gmos and and it has the right terpenes and it yields well and it has all the right horticultural characteristics but it only has a 15 or 16 percent thc number You know what? I'll buy it. (laughs) There we go,
1: baby. There we go. Yeah, Nate, you know, uh, I kind of have a a hypothesis on this whole uh, topic as well. Um, You know, there's been a lot of times over the years where I've been searching for things like you're talking about. And they're just, like Tom said, they're just not to be found. You know, I, I would go over to Amsterdam. Uh, I remember one time we went over there for the Cannabis Cup, and we went to every single coffee shop that entered in the Cannabis Cup that year. It was like 83 or something. And I'm looking for skunk number one. That's what I'm looking for. You know, because that's what my res- the, the memories. Um, and I and I start to wonder and think about: uh, Is it kind of an illusion in our brains? Is it something that like? You remember something so well that over the years you think about it so much. And every time you think about it, it gets better and better. And it's the fish story. You catch the fish and then every time you tell the story, it was was a shark. It was huge. You know, like I half wonder if that if if that is part of the problem. And then the secondary thing uh, that that I also got to was that, um, you know, nothing, nothing anymore is, you know, a straight indica or a straight sativa. I mean, everything's really a hybrid across the board (laughs) and with so much breeding and so much um legalization going on and 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 processing of the genetics over time are we are we losing those those original genetics and are are they ever going to be recoverable
3: i mean a true land race dude is really hard to find um and even and so okay so one of the one of the benefits of of one of the things I did relatively early when I was building this company is I was on the hunt for for a guy who just specialized in genetics you know what I mean one of those weird like almost autistic guys that 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 just specializes in genetics and that's all he knows kind of thing and uh, we, we grabbed hold of one of those guys and he had been chasing these land races and had gone and done all of this traveling and pulling all these land races in but I mean uh, do pure land raises exist? Yeah, but you got to go out there and find them, and you had to go to the source. But even once you do, you, I mean, if we're talking about commercial cannabis production, like the vast majority of those are, are are not and will not be in you know, the first five or six generations commercially viable. I mean, you know this, I mean, they could take 18 to 24 weeks in flower. Some of them, some of them and some of them are, are, are going to give you you know uh 20 grams a square foot on your yield uh and so there's some commercial viability there um uh, but i think you're you, you're probably right about the memory thing too um, i
1: think keeping the uh, genetic
2: diversity is crucial though man bringing the land races in just to keep the pool as large as possible and that's why we need caregivers man we need caregivers for many reasons but that hey. right there yeah. you know what i mean
0: yeah, yeah so of course. on the, on the skunk one I don't know because like first time i ever smoked it I know it was 1996 i was a year out of high school and uh, got in Lansing and we called it the Kevorkian around here um if anyone remembers that and uh um i would go i would you know you go to a concert or you go to have it and you go to somebody's house and it's in your pocket and the grandma come out and ask who got hit by a skunk. Like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. you not know, happened. I mean, that happened all the time. It was nuts. Like, you could just that was the loudest. But so maybe I'm I'm hopeful, um, but maybe a little too hopeful. But uh, the other thing is, is, man, if they're bringing back, hopefully, if they're able to bring back, they're talking about bringing back like woolly mammoths and all these other dinosaurs. <laughs> maybe they can get, bring back some some land races too. put the technology, put the technology there, but. I wanted to talk about something that's um near and dear to my heart. Uh I love following the Michigan cannabis market and you know, like uh last year, uh Crop with the multitude of reasons that we had talked about on this show, there's about four or five other factors was pretty intense. Um, this year, um, you know, uh, not as intense, you gotta be honest with you, and there's reasons on that, but what are you seeing as far as, um, on your end of it, Nate, with, with prices, attitudes? Uh, I know a lot of outdoors are hit with, with, got hit with the, the, the bud mold and the, and the PM and maybe just going to distill it, not the fresh frozen. Um, but uh, what are you seeing? And uh, um, with that, what do you see as far as like the future with uh, the price compression and then uh, even the strain wars that's about to happen? sure
3: um so I I'll keep this pretty brief I think uh, I think uh, Kevin wants to pop in here so uh, mm-hmm. my answer would be pretty brief I think that you have to have cultivars that are very specific to Michigan outdoor if you want to do outdoor um this is not an easy environment uh it it just is not an easy environment to grow in and you know there's parts of like southern michigan for example that have a little bit more wiggle room in the the outside kind of environmental uh once you get into mid michigan that changes a little bit and i've got guys up in the up talking about growing outdoor and, and best of luck bro best of luck Uh, It's not that it can't be done, but you have to have genetics that are very specific to that kind of thing. Meaning, you know, indoors, they need to be finished in 50 or 55 days. Um, Now, there's a lot of ways to kind of get around that, you know, like, uh, for example, we got pulled into uh, kind of a consulting arrangement uh, with a very, very large Michigan outdoor producer. And the guy who was running that farm out there was actually running hemp. Uh, before he was running this farm. And so over the course of talking, they were trying to spread out their outdoor harvest by delaying flowering, by feeding different nutrients, basically. Uh, And my first conversation with him was, you do not delay your flower out here, brother. Do not do that. You need to go onto the other side of it if you're trying to stagger out your harvest, which is you can plant, plants that have either ruderalis plants which are auto flowers or plants that have ruderalis bred into them to dramatically increase or decrease your flower time and then therefore stage out your harvest but you do that on the front end and not the back end um to your point on price compression and strain wars i mean once you get a facility up you get a good grower in there the next competitive space that you have is your genetics
1: yeah, guys, I just wanted to follow up real quick on the on the the topic of uh, of our remembrance of the, the old skunk number one, you know, um, the other thing I, I I always go back to is, um, you know, uh, we're in grows all the time, right? And so we our noses are getting hammered with terpenes and stuff all the time. Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> people will come in my facility and be like, Oh, my God, it smells so good in here. And it's like, I don't I don't literally smell anything. Like I smell the cheeseburger we just had for lunch, right? <laughs> um, but like it's the same. Like I, you know, like I would, uh, I would switch vehicles with my girlfriend sometimes, and I'd have weed in the in the glove box, and and she'd say like she's walking across the parking lot and can smell it, you know. And then there's those times where you park your vehicle. You go do something for a couple of hours, and you come back, and you open the door, and you're like, Jesus Christ, what is in here? You know, like that. Something like it's all of a sudden, something you've had in your car for or for forever, it just it, it gets activated with the heat of the day or whatever it is, and the terpenes go. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to throw out those kind of those kind of things too. Man, yeah, I couldn't agree more.
2: I had a question about um, yeah, you're talking about ruderalis and using strains like that for staggering your outdoor. Um, your um, company's name or your flower, your farm is Fast Flower Farms. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that the, uh, the intent here since it's a Michigan farm that we need to be looking at strains that are finishing up in the uh, shorter period, window period, working with the environment that you're in or tell me a little bit about that?
3: yeah for sure so the fast flower farm thing was just a nod to kind of commercial horticulturalist more than more than anything else don't get me wrong that's not a brand that plays well with it with with uh i, I guess the the retail consumer and so we're actually not going to kind of brand that way but that is the name of our farm now
2: Gotcha. the reason i
3: named it that is just because i think sometimes people. Um, coming out of the caregiver market or coming out of, of, you know, a market where it's less regulated and it's less expensive, uh, you know, they'll do things like flower 12-week plants and more power to you. If you can get away with it, more power to you. We need that out there. But uh, if I can flower 55-day plants and you're flowering 12-week plants, the longer that plant is alive, the more likely it is to contract some kind of disease, the higher your risk is. Um, And... By turning those rooms faster, you're paying your OPEX is roughly the same by turning those rooms faster. And this is specifically for indoor, you're able to generate more revenue in the same space. Um, And so that's where that comes into play. Now for outdoors, yes. You have to have a genetics suited to your environment, and I was involved in a lot of kind of outdoor grows and takedowns this year, and we were testing a lot of different genetics and different outdoor environments. And you know, we had—I'll give you a really good example. So we grew lava cake and ice cream cake in the same in the same environment outdoors this year in Michigan. Both of them were ready first part of October. You know, you could have taken them in that first week of October. We ended up. We ended up taking them down a bunch of that particular garden for fresh frozen outdoor. And so that took forever to get down. And a guy had his baby and it just got hectic. Uh, so, to take down what we didn't take down for fresh frozen, we went out last night, <laughs> night before last, and processed the rest of the students outdoor. And the ice cream cake, for example, no bud rot, perfect, just a big spear cola, absolutely crushed. But the lava cake, which had a lot more bud on it, and up until that point, had looked really good. Is now covered in bud rot. He lost two thirds of the plant. So I mean, even in that that very short ten day window, kind of mm-hmm. right now, uh, you can lose a lot. And if you're there's, if you take if you take short flowering plants that, that have mold and mildew resistance, you plant those outside or ruderalis, you can also beat crop over. Uh, you can you can pull all your stuff in mid in mid-september September. and beat it yeah. to the, beat it beat everyone else to the market man, And and that actually matters in that world for sure So with um, you know
2: turning let's go back to indoor really quick with the um, turning rooms over I get it, you know as a numbers man. I'm sure you're looking, you know bottom lines Uh but when we're talking about land races, um, genetic diversity, we have to have those longer flowering yep. strains in there in play. You know, I You know, we're actually we're we're trying to find the right genetics to run. You know, like we're looking for 11, 12 weekers that are viable. And the question is, is there more value to those types of uh, products to offset the fact that you could be making more money running a shorter flowering plant?
3: I think sometimes there is, Uh, but that's also for the market to decide and not for me. Uh, What I want to happen in the market is totally different than what happens in the market, you know, eight out of 10 times. Um, Of course. I I will say, for example, for example, we have AJ's cut of the New York sour diesel and it is phenomenal smoke. It's that old sour diesel that that we all smoked back in the day and I love it. I want it bad. Oh, i've got it baby and 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 it's really good but it's it's all of 11 weeks and honestly that kind of just falls then into like this is probably better for caregivers kind of sale than is typically handed out to to a commercial cultivation facility um so it is a math game and yeah we do have to hold and, and we do uh hold some of those kind of genetics sacred and honestly like when i see somebody breed with like aj's uh cut kind of sour so i'm just like no don't do it man. don't do it and, and i know commercial cultivation facilities that are running gmo all at 12 weeks and uh and they're getting they're getting pretty good money for their gmo because a lot of other people aren't growing it. uh so exactly. it may be the base
1: right on so Nate, you mentioned uh, holding uh, a bunch of these genetics. Do you guys do that in tissue culture form, or how do you how do you store those for a long period of time? I know that gets complicated. It does,
3: man. Um,
1: it's really good to have people
3: who can visually like process numbers um, because you have to walk into a room and be able to go, that one's there, that one's there, this one's gonna be ready then. And and honestly, we do it, do it in kind of perpetual mother cycles. We. We test our, uh, anything that comes in, um, then we flower verify, then we test the bud on that. Um, Then, uh, and and that's just through a process of perpetual cloning. What we are moving into is exactly what you're talking about, which is basically putting in stasis in tissue culture, and therefore having these kind of cycles of genetics that come through over the course of a year. And that's the most effective way to do it.
2: I found Cryo to be extremely interesting. Um, Can you explain that a little bit to people that may not know what that is?
3: I wish I could speak more intelligently about that. Uh, What I do know about it is that, actually, why don't you tell us about Cryo?
2: Well, I I can tell you what I understand too, which is probably about, you know, you're asking the the wrong dog, but my understanding is it's basically a virtual seed, right? It's a clump of tissue that is encased in like an agar, right? And then set in a cold environment in order to remain in stasis until you decide to uh, run tissue culture or or put it into the proper agar with the growth medium that has the right nutrients and hormones. Hormones are extremely important in tissue culture to ensure that you're not... You can. It's amazing that you can remove rooting hormones and you just get branching out of a plant. And then as soon as you're ready to add uh, roots, you just... You know, you switch the medium to something that has rooting hormones in it, and uh, and all the proper nutrients. I mean, it's a balance. It's definitely very tricky, but uh, what an amazing time that we live in that we can do this, and it's crucial for anyone wanting a viable cultivation facility long term. You need to consider that.
3: I absolutely agree. Uh, there's there's the there's one catch there, which is cryo's ex- is incredibly expensive to get to get up and running and then having the right kind of person that can operate it. And then they also have to operate your tissue culture lab. And if you're combining those two things, those don't really positively impact, at least in the short term, your production. Uh, So you have to be able to offset those costs and or uh, contract them out. You know, I mean, I contract a lot of my marketing out. Uh, I contract a lot of my construction out. I contract all of my legal out. And so I don't need to have an in-house person for everything. We just need reliable people that we can contract some of these things out to. And that is
0: a goal of ours in the very near future. Um, very cool. Um, well, going to wrap up. Uh, I actually have a hard out today. So I wanted to give uh, Kevin and Tom and Nate a chance to say goodbye and uh, great conversation. We're going to have to have you back on, uh, uh, Nate, and get into this a little deeper. So, Kevin?
1: Yeah, Nate, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, I could talk to you probably for hours and hours on end about this <laughs> kind of stuff because this, this is the stuff we love, you know, and and, and it's kind of funny because you don't ever run into people a lot of times that are on the same wavelength as you. And so uh, to, to have you on the show and uh, and to talk about things that we're so passionate about, it's great, man, and I appreciate you coming on and I and, uh, wish you guys all the best. I look forward to potentially getting maybe some of that uh, A.J. sour diesel from you because uh, from what I remember, that shit was bomb. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Uh, Kevin
2: you beat me to everything again (laughs) always even to the sour diesel cut but no it's a pleasure man you know we should definitely uh, get in touch sometime and uh, we love having like-minded people on the show so like Ryan said yeah come on back anytime
0: Nate any final uh, words or words of wisdom for the audience
3: Man, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. Uh, basically, it's the same. It's just a pleasure getting on here and to be able to talk through things like this with with people who have kind of the same interests and the same passions and are buttoning up against some of the same kind of things. Um, and then I, I the, one of the final things I want to say is that I'm really happy that somebody brought caregivers into this conversation because those guys built this house and we need to continue supporting them. And we always do. 100%. Yeah. Amen to them.
1: that, brother. We yeah, need
2: that, them to remind right. us of what real cannabis looks like. That's otherwise right. it'll just turn into corporate booth everywhere and we're swimming in it and then they start throwing people back in jail again
0: stupid couldn't agree more yep yeah. yeah. and I know I was a kicker an 09 Tom I'm sure you were too Kevin you were before that in Colorado I mean that's always will be always uh, you know always deep in that and we're gonna keep keep fighting that uh, I love it just based on you know it's been an open source of information one of the reasons Michigan is where it's at is 40,000 caregivers got to exchange information, exchange ideas, genetics, and learn. So we got some of the best growers in in the country. But uh, with that, hey, I wanted to, thanks for being on it, but I wanted to invite uh, all of you guys and then also um, the audience. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, professionals on there, uh, myself and um, covert Law, uh, move down the street to 920 North Washington Ave. in Old Town Lansing. There's a lot of history in this building, uh, and we're having an open house next Friday, the 29th, at uh, three o'clock. It starts. The chamber will be here at 3:30 for a ribbon cutting. There'll be East Side Fish Fry. Our good friend Henry is is uh, bringing the food. There's a open bar, and there'll be smoking going on after about five o'clock. or so we gotta let like, the politicians probably leave. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah everyone's invited if you're listening to this swing on through and uh, it's going to be a great time so with that hope to see everyone next week and maybe next Friday thanks guys the Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show contact us at B at Thanks for being along for the journey.